All right, here it is, another episode of Let There Be Talk. It is Tuesday, what is it, April 18th? <laughs> it's fucking out of my mind. Never know what day it is. The podcast is a day late because my weekend was absolutely insane. Been traveling, doing shows out in Austin, Texas with Bill Burr, and uh, went to the MotoGP and got home last night, ended up doing this incredible benefit for Jimmy Hayward at the uh, Belasco, I think it was called, with Primus and uh, some members of Tool and Queens of the Stone Age. It was just an insane weekend, uh, a Friday through Monday, and it's just been, oh, man, it's just uh, sometimes I sit down and just go, wow, I can't believe what is happening. So I will be talking about all of that, the MotoGP, the shows, and the jams with Primus on my Patreon bonus episode tomorrow. You want to join the Patreon? It's patreon.com slash Dean Del Rey, and it really helps, believe me. Uh, all the Patreoners out there are just fantastic. I have some new Patreoners, and I want to give them some love right now. Let's get it. Roger Lewis, thank you for joining. James Ray. Evan Boyle, unbelievable super Patreoner. Evan Boyle. And Tracy Shepard, all new Patreoners, all fantastic people. Thank you. Patreon.com slash Dean Del Rey. Also, the website deandelray.com for the new merch. I've got the tree hat. I've got the Perry Shaw shirts. There's a few Gertie hoodies, I think. No, sweatshirts. A couple Gertie sweatshirts left. That's about it. Uh, the Perry Shaw shirt has just been restocked, and it is selling. So get there on the website and get one and check out the tour dates. I'm coming to Santa Rosa. I've never done Santa Rosa. June 8th. Barrel Proof Lounge. So tickets for that are on the website. You want to see me do comedy this week? I will be at the Comedy Store tonight, Tuesday the 18th here. I will be at the Comedy Store on Thursday. And I will be at the Comedy Store on Saturday. So there you go. We got a little bit of that promo out. And uh, let's get into the episode right here. It's going to be a new music episode. I love celebrating new music. I love it. And I love when uh, people turn me on to music or I stumble across it somehow. And today we have Mario Quintero of the band Spotlights and uh, originally from Brooklyn. Now they're living out in Pittsburgh. And this band is just fantastic. Started around 2016. They got a couple records out, but they have a brand new record coming out. And I am uh, fired up for you guys to hear that because I'm, I'm sure you're going to love it. It is uh, out on April 28th, and it is called, what is it called? I got it right here somewhere. Uh, 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 like a dummy, I don't have it in front of me. Like a dumb dumb, you are so dumb, Dean. Do some fucking stuff. Get, do some preparation. <laughs> Here it is. It is called Alchemy for the Dead. 
And they've got a couple videos out right now for the record on YouTube. Mr. Mike Patton himself signed them to his label. And they will be touring with Mr. Bungle and the Melvins, so I cannot wait to see them on May 11th at the Palladium in Los Angeles. Thank you, Mario, for doing the show. I got to tell you, man, this record is knocking me out. So uh, I hope you guys run out and grab it on April 28th. Uh, podcast is brought to you by Standard and Strange, my one-stop denim shop. I was just in there recently, and I'm looking forward to going back there. I've got some shows in Alameda coming up in the Bay Area, so I'll be hitting the store again. Berkeley, New Mexico, uh, New York. Three stores, brick and mortar style, or just go to their Instagram or their website, standardandstrange.com. Ask for Neil or Jeremy, tell them I sent you, and uh, get yourself some denim or leather or some boots or... I mean, they, they have so much great stuff. Flannels, T-shirts, all next level, all handmade stuff out of Japan. Standardandstrange.com. Also, Gertie food. That's what I'm starting to call it. Time for some Gertie food. MigosDog.com. My dog, Gertie, eats Migos Dog every day. It is human-grade Excellent dog food made in Malibu, California, available at Airwans or Healthy Spot. And if you live in Los Angeles, they deliver to your house now. Unbelievable. MigosDog.com. Go to the website right now. They're constantly running deals. You must try this out. You want your dog to be around a long time? I know you do. You love your dog. Unless you're evil, unless you're a crazy you're some kind of lunatic and you don't love your dog. You are the devil. <laughs> Gertrude. Gertrude. Okay. MigosDog.com. Thank you so much for your patience. Sorry the episode is late. Uh, like I said, just insane weekend. And uh, I love all of you for tuning in. And I know you're going to dig this band spotlights. I know you are. Here it is right now. Let's get into the episode. Uh, what number is it? 692. Can you believe it? I, I loved Mario. He's just God, level-headed, smart dude. He uh, records all their records, engineers them, knows his way in and out of a studio. If you need to get some stuff mixed, he does mixes for bands. And his studio out there in Pittsburgh, he can... You know, whatever the kids do, email the stems, send the stems over and get some, uh, get some uh, knob tweaking, some knob spinning, some tones, some mix downs. <laughs> I'm kind of cuckoo, man. I'm kind of out of it today. I love all you guys. Here it is. Episode number 692. The candles are lit. All right, here we are. Another episode of Let There Be Talk. Fantastic human on today, but a band, I'm going to be talking about a band that I just heard about, and I feel like I'm late on the train because you guys have been around since like 2016 or so, 
And uh, somebody sent it over to me a couple weeks ago, and I heard this song, Algorithmic, and I was like, I got to have this nice. band on right away. And then it <laughs> turns out there's all kinds of cool shit around you guys. So uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, Mario Quintero from the band Spotlights. First of all, this uh, new record, what is it? Uh, Alchemy for the Dead. I've been listening to it for the last couple of days, and it's just fantastic. It comes out April 28th, and uh, man, it is some dark shit. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, man. It is uh, it is dark. It's like, you know, I mean, I feel like our, our music's kind of had a little bit of a, uh, we always kind of ride the line of like sort of some dark shit mixed in with a little bit of hopeful, you know, kind of sound. Um, on this one, just kind of went for it. <laughs> went all the way in well i mean i'm always attracted to the very uh dark music and there's uh tons of uh the theme of death is surrounded by this and i recently lost my mom and oh, wow. it, yeah and it's been brutal and i think that really what triggered for me is you constantly try to ignore death some people yeah. do. Some people glamorize yeah. it like i can't wait till i die and i want to <laughs> die young you know that old thing but you know, for the most part, people, you know, because I'm a comedian and I'll do a joke about death and people will just be like, oh, whoa, they get weird. And you can feel the room go like, dude, we're here to escape, you know? Yeah. It is an interesting thing that that people do not want to talk about death. It's scary, right? Yeah, it's weird, man. That's kind of like part of the reason for the whole the whole like theme of the record is just there's so many different takes on it and you know we most people like you said not everybody but most people kind of are afraid of it we look at it as like this like scary thing and then there's the opposite like you said as well with like people who are like you know like it's just a beautiful part of life man it's cool like you know and the fact is like no matter who you are whether how, however you look at it like you know i guess for a personal on a personal way i'm kind of right in between like I, i'm not a afraid to die i'm afraid of like dying you know what i mean like what's going to happen how much is it going to hurt all that shit like i i think that's what most people are scared of anyway you know it's like whatever suffering or what, however it goes you don't know we don't know when or how it's going to happen so it's like this inevitable unknown that we all have to deal with well i think the the scary death is the slow hospital death a hundred percent that you know because I watched it happen and it's, it's absolutely, um, it's brutal, but I think the ultimate death is just in your sleep. Uh, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> like if I had a choice and I hope I do <laughs> when I, if I get to the point, man, when I'm laying in a bed and, and I'm of the right mind enough to be like, all right, this is nothing. It's not going to get better from here on out. I'll, Dude, give me whatever. So just put me down. Let me go to sleep and um, let's do it. You know, I always have this question for people. I'm 57. How old are you? I'm 46. Okay. 46. What if this was on the table for you? Uh -huh. Somebody came and said, I'm going to guarantee you 30 more years or you take the gamble and see what you get what would you take so 
I guess I would have, I would have one question. Like, do I know how it's going to happen at those at 76 or whatever? And if there's, if I don't know, I'll take the gamble anyway. Because again, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, I think the scariest part about knowing would be the last year. You're like, this is oh, yeah. last fucking year. <laughs> right? Well, maybe, that, maybe that would make you, maybe that would push you to fucking live like all the way, you know? Can you imagine you won the lottery on the last year? (laughs) (laughs) Motherfucker. (laughs) You'd be like, come on, man. Can I buy a few more years? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Go back to the guy. Like, so I just won the lottery. (laughs) I love the sound of the band. And um, thanks, man. I, you know, I'm a big back in the day. I listened to the Swans a lot, a lot of dark music. And, and of course, now you're on Mike Patton's label and, yeah. you know, one of the greatest records ever to come out of the Bay Area where I'm from is Angel Dust. A lot of oh, yeah. dark themes on that record. And Mike Patton being a huge, uh, obviously a fan of strange, outside the box, amazing music. Yeah. How does he come about working with you guys? Um, it's weird, man. I mean, I, it still doesn't make sense to me because, you know, we're huge fans of his music and all his projects and, and the label as a whole too. Uh, it's funny when we first submitted to them, our friend, Aaron Harris, uh, who played drums in the band ISIS, which was on Ipecac as well. Uh, he, he got in touch with Greg and was like, you know, he was producing the record seismic, which was going to be the first one on it ended up being the first one on Ipecac. And Greg right away, who's the, he's Mike Patton's manager, Greg Workman, uh, his manager and the owner of Ipecac. So it's basically a 50, 50 split between them for the, they, they started the label to put out all Mike's records that weren't Phantom Oaks and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Just everything because they didn't want to deal with major label bullshit. But anyway, they, they have a pact basically where it's the, both of them have to agree on whether they like a band to sign them. And uh, Greg right away was like, I love it. Let's do it. Uh, but, you know, I, I just don't think Mike is going to like it. <laughs> and uh, next day, he just sent us a text and was like, Mike's in. Let's do it. And uh, and it happened, man. So and since then, you know, we've met a couple of times and he's been super supportive and just, you know, it's 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 weird. I don't I don't you know, I don't know how or why, but we're super happy and, and uh, grateful to be on that label. Well, I don't think there's any better stamp of indie art than Mike Patton signing a band in my eyes or taking yeah. a band out on tour or any of that. Because to me, he has the ultimate career. There's a few people in the world that have like this type of career where it's very vital that the fans grab what they're doing and are willing to take a ride from multiple different sounds and vibes. You know, Mike's yeah. stuff is all over the board from oh, Bumble yeah. to Faith No More to Phantomos to anything that he's doing. So I think being on that label is just so amazing because the people, it's a lot like early Def Jam or Def American when Ruben would sign something, whether it totally. be Johnny Cash Slayer or work with the Beastie Boys or anything. You took the ride because you trusted Rick. And that's a lot like Mike Patton. You really 
will trust what Mike's, uh, you know, instincts and uh, tastes are. No, and it's it feels good. And I think, you know, for us, it ended up being the perfect place because, I don't know, people have trouble kind of pinning this down to like a specific genre or a specific sound or whatever. And I mean, I think unintentionally sort of been semi-fluid with what we do, even though I think we have a kind of a, maybe a quote-unquote sound to the band. Um and I think that's why it works. You know, it's not they're they have everything on that label from like jazz to straight up thrash to math rock to noise rock to whatever, you know, classical, basically. So it's nice to be somewhere where you're not just kind of like lumped into like, oh, this is a post metal band or a post rock band because you're on a certain label. Labeled by the label. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. It's crazy. And that's really like, I mean, as a musician, as an artist, as a fan or anything, like that's my biggest like concern with music really is like not being boring and not being stagnant really, you know, like don't get stuck in doing the same thing over again or feeling like you have to do the same thing over again because people think you you are part of this like uh, scene or genre or whatever, you know. Um, so it's awesome, man. Like I like you said, being having that stamp of approval kind of gives us the confidence to do whatever we want to do. And it's just awesome. To, the fact that they keep putting our records out is is crazy <laughs> to us. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic to know that there's people out there that are going, no way is this going to be on the radio. Right. It, it's such a, a, a weird world that, you know, where people just... Of course, we know what it is. It's the music business, but it's that world of somebody understanding, let's figure out how to put these records out and stay in business somehow. And that yeah. key, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. And I mean, it's nice to see now because they've, they've picked up a couple bands, not necessarily new bands, a couple new bands, but um, the label seems to kind of be like having a little bit of an upswing now too. You know, uh, I think because things are a little freer now, we're not so like pinned down by like radio or just major labels or, you know, the marketing and everything is a little more uh, even these days, especially with like streaming and all that shit. So um, it's good to see that they they can still survive and are doing, you know, from what I know, relatively well as a label. But they also do it smart. You know, they do it. <clears throat> it's literally two people that run the label it's greg and mark shapiro who's like their main production manager he does everything basically he's he's an incredible guy and uh and you know mike is part of the label but he's mainly kind of an outside voice on on who they sign so and that's it so you know we get i get questions all the time about like ipecac or, or bands that are interested in being on the label or you know asking about it and people have an impression that it's kind of like this big this big thing but it's it's just two people that work their fucking asses off to make something cool happen. Is it out of San Francisco? Yeah, initially it was out of, out of San Francisco. Greg actually moved recently, but, uh, you know, the label still is basically based there. And Mark Shapiro lives in New York, which is where we, we lived. We formed in New York. Yeah, you guys started in Brooklyn, and now you're out in Pittsburgh. What yeah. made that move happen? I know you're married to Sarah. It's a three-piece band. It's Sarah, you, and Chris on drums. What made you move? Was it um, during COVID, a, a way to survive as artists, getting something cheap, 
and being able to uh, record and be all in where you're at? Because I know you recorded the record at your house. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, all of the above, basically. But we did move before COVID. So we moved here 2018, like right at the end of 2018. But yeah, I mean, New York was just kind of like killing us, man. Trying to be a small band like us and touring a lot like we were at the time coming home to to brooklyn with like little or no money from a long ass tour and then having to just non-stop hustle to pay rent it just wasn't feasible anymore you know and like barely barely possible really because like you know i couldn't really i had a job when i lived in brooklyn for a while working at a college doing just like audio visual shit and it paid relatively well like anywhere else it would have been a great salary but in new york it just disappeared <laughs> yeah but you know and then we started touring a lot and i just eventually couldn't hold down the job anymore and then come back i was just doing sound at uh venues and whatever you know just the constant hustle to make it work which we're we're all about and we don't mind doing it but when you're doing that putting all your effort into that and you can barely pay your rent and barely just like you know we weren't going out we weren't getting anything out of new york we couldn't even go out to like shows anymore because you'd have to an uber to saint vitus is you know, $50. And then on the way back, like, that's just, it was unattainable. What we wanted to do with the band wasn't going to happen there. How did you pick Pittsburgh? Uh, pretty randomly, really just from touring. Every time we came through here, we really liked it. Visually, it's a beautiful city. People were always cool. And um, when we finally started trying to look at places to get out of New York, we were thinking we wanted to stay kind of close just because to kind of keep the you know, we have a lot of friends there and Chris still lives there. Chris, our drummer still lives there. We were looking like upstate New Jersey, et cetera. And even there, everything was already all blown out. So we just remembered like Pittsburgh's cool. Let's check that out. And it was like insane how cheap it was compared to New York, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and we just went for it, man. Like we, we didn't know anybody here whatsoever. Just, uh, came out here for a weekend, looked at houses and rented a place and moved out here. I love that. I love that. Just like, fuck it. Let's go for it, man. Hell yeah. Tell me how much that rent is for the house. Oh, dude. Well, the one we moved into was a two bedroom house with like a giant yard. It was 900 bucks a month. Wow. Yeah. Which, and I mean, people here were like, yeah, it's getting expensive, right? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And then during COVID, we were able to buy a house, which is something I didn't, I never even thought would happen in my life, you know? Yeah, I've I grew up in Florida and Miami, and then I moved to Boston, which was crazy expensive. Then I moved to San Diego, which is insanely expensive, and then New York. So, like to me, that was that's how much things cost. You know, a piece of trash house in a shitty neighborhood cost six hundred thousand dollars. So, but here, uh, we we bought a house for ninety grand. The one ninety grand. Around. Yeah, that's a car. That's a car, and and, and a, like a used. <laughs> that's a used uh, Mercedes. Exactly. So we were like, because we yeah we during COVID we were just like just started kind of poking around and seeing what was what the deal was with uh, house prices, and I was just like, holy shit! So yeah, we were able to buy a house. We have a a yard. We have you know it's a nice like little two bedroom house. I had this basement that I was able to build out. So now I have a proper, it's small. Like I would, you know, obviously it's, it's not everything I would want, but again, my mortgage is like $700 a month. That's incredible. <laughs> I love, I love hearing that, right? You know? call it, 
yeah, like the quality of life, man, just your, your stress levels, everything goes down. And like that, I think opened up a lot of space for just being able to be more inspired to work and make music and, and not only music, but like my recording work started getting much better because I could, I could kind of like sit back and wait for work to come in instead of just constantly being stressed out and pushing and, you know, like bothering people trying to be like, Hey, Hey, you want to record? You want to record? We're like, I just think that doesn't work in that industry really. You know, it's, it's a word of mouth thing and people have to start coming to you. Yeah. It's, it's really wild. I was just out at Rancho de la Luna, you know, Dave oh, nice. studio. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, <clears throat> my point is he moved out there like 30 years ago and started that studio and here they are celebrating their 30 year anniversary this year. And you know, to think about it's it's really wild to think about the old days where you had to be in New York or L.A. or a scene like, let's say, Seattle was happening or Detroit or something, you know? Sure. And now with music and social media and and uh, home recordings and how great everything sounds, which, by the way, your record sounds fantastic. Thanks, man. You can really live anywhere. And it's kind of knocked down that wall of, uh, you know, people are like, well, we got to be in New York and it's so expensive. Man, I follow this cheap old houses on Instagram and I'm like, well, look at this house for 40 grand. And if I was playing music back in the day when I played music, we had a band house, you know? Right. I'm right. thinking, well, like a $40,000 house or 90, like you're saying, yeah. we could buy a house and all live in it and just go crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. I mean, and yeah, like if, you know, it's a, I think it's a plus, like I'm all for like home recording and people getting into that shit just because that's how it is. Like I try and embrace it, even though it's my job. Uh, I feel like it's helped my job. I feel like bands can record themselves at home and then I, I mostly mix records anyway. So like, and it's really what I enjoy doing the most. And that's kind of the, the, the thing where like, you know, you can kind of learn how to record and it's a little easier to do, but the mixing part, it takes a long time to get to that point where, you, you know, I've been doing it for 25 years and I'm still just like scratching the surface. I feel like, you know, so it's actually helped because so many bands are able to record without having to spend thousands of dollars on a studio, get relatively decent tracks. And then they send them to me and I, I have something decent to work with, you know, how do you start spotlights and, what was this your first band and is, what was the initial influences like what were you listening to to get into this were you into like nine inch nails and ministry and all of this or or what guides you into this you know instead of just being hey here we are a rock band you know spotlights itself I've, I've played in a bunch of other bands and sarah and i actually played in a band before spotlights when we lived in san diego um but this band the point of it really was for us to just do something for Sarah and I to do something that like we didn't have to like we weren't going for any specific sound it was just like let's make what we want to hear like basically form our favorite band that's what that's what the goal was to like make something that we wish other people were making so there wasn't necessarily like and I do love Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and uh, tons of other bands uh you know i we both have a lot of deep influences i think but there wasn't anything in particular where like we were like okay i want to be kind of a heavy band that sounds like this 
we just started kind of playing and not holding back whatever was coming out. So like at the beginning, it was really kind of more electronic. I was playing drums and Sarah was playing bass. We even played a few shows like that. But uh, I'm just more of a guitar player. So I started writing more guitar stuff. And eventually it just made sense to get a drummer. And we ended up forming kind of what it is now. But for for all of the records and even especially now like the the new record we've we've never gone into we've actually gone into it trying not to have a specific influence you know trying not to be like uh you know we've been listening to so and so a lot which i'm i'm not a big music listener like i'm kind of maybe it's because i'm working on music a lot or whatever but i'm just i'm not caught up on like what's happening new or anything like that i basically listen to the same bands i've been listening to for since i was like 15 who are those bands uh I mean, it, you know, it varies, but uh, a huge one. I grew up basically listening to like The Cure, Depeche Mode, New Order, things like that to begin Joy with. Joy Division. Not not too much Joy Division, really, but yeah. It, kind of a weird mix. So I had two older sisters and they had super diverse tastes as well. And I would just raid their tape collections and record collections. So it was a mix of that. And then you know, when I was about 12 or 13, starting to get into, I was skateboarding. And so like I started getting into punk rock. So bands like Bad Brains and Fugazi and a little later, you know, more like post hard rock stuff like, uh, like Helmet, Quicksand, bands like that, all mixed in with more like older new wave stuff. I think that was kind of like my molding when I was young. And it's still, it's still there. Bands like uh, Jane's Addiction, like early Jane's Addiction was a huge one for me. Pixies. That, that's like me. I mean, you know, when you're growing up in the 70s and 80s, it's kind of like you're just into all kinds of stuff. You know, one of my yeah. favorites, of course, is Devo and Gary Newman. And oh, I've been yeah. both on the show. And and these people Amazing. were just mind boggling and craft work. They, I, I play them at the same time I would play ACDC. You Hell know, yeah. there were no rules. So, yep. Yeah, yeah, I get it, man. It's just a, a, it was a plethora of just incredible music that was all over the board, especially once Lollapalooza hits, you know? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Like first Lollapalooza, I, I didn't get to go to the first one. I went to the second one, but I mean, that lineup for the first one was, was amazing, you know? Well, the second one was insane. The second one was good too. Ministry was there. Ice Cube. Yeah, it was like Ice Cube, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Oh, unreal. Uh, ridiculous. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's like we do love music. We're just not, we're not, we're like a weird kind of, at least I'm like a weird type of music fan. You know, I'm not, I don't really go searching out new bands or anything. Uh, friends send me stuff all the time and, and sometimes I dig it. Even if I really dig it, it's hard for me to kind of become like a, a new fan of, of something unless it really, just blows my mind somehow you know if it has has to have something real specific to like draw me in i don't i don't really there wasn't any specifics influences that that really made this band what it is that i you know i'm of course there is like i think everything around us influences us all the time uh it's just it's hard to pinpoint something down man i'm i'm telling you i do this show and in one week i heard this band the machine and then you guys and uh, weekly, it seems like this happens to me. I'm like, holy shit, this is great. I mean, I can't even, I just heard this uh, group, uh, was, uh, Eve's Tumor. 
They got five records out. Never even heard of them. Unreal, <laughs> you know. So yeah, the amount of great music out there is so mind-boggling to me. It is, and and people say it's hard to keep up. It is, but I just keep notes in my iTunes or my Amazon Music. And I constantly make sure that I go and listen to these again and not just listen to them one week and never hear them again, you know? Right, right. So the amount of great music out there is just insane. It is. It's crazy, man. It's, uh, I think it's awesome. You know, I, you know, streaming and all that shit gets a bad rap and there's a reason for it, of course, but I've just, especially for bands like us who it's a struggle to, you know, I don't know, we're just a, a small band and it takes a lot of work for us to like build little bits of a fan base little by little year after year and touring our asses off to like get to a place where it's sustainable. Um, but it's just, it's awesome for everybody to have the platform now, you know, that didn't exist before. No. Yeah. YouTube and streaming, you know, and sound yeah. and band camp. And I mean, yeah. shit, dude, it's, it's, it also makes it hard because there's so much out there that people are like, uh, you open up like SoundCloud and you're like, oh, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah. But I think, and I truly believe in this and I've said it over and over, the oh. power of word of mouth is um, it's uh it's stronger than anything and it's underrated. I mean, you know, people tell me about something and I trust that person's music taste. And I listen to it and go, Tam, dude, that shit's great. Or I tell people about music on the show and they go, wow, that was great. You know, or they don't like it or whatever, but the power of word of mouth still needs to be out there for these all these new bands in in order for it to work because don't you see i know you see it and i see it i've been a comedian now on my 14th year it's real slow each year you're like okay i've got like you know a couple hundred more people at at a venue or whatever it's mind-boggling but it, it could just take one thing and as corny as it sounds, a viral video or Chino Marino or Mike Patton championing you, you know, with me as Bill Burr, people right. going, you know, him going, hey, go see this guy or touring with him. And that is the shit that starts to spread and uh, and keep you going, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it keeps, you know, it's it's inspiring and like it gives you the confidence to be like, all right, well, maybe I do have something and and keeps you going and you know i think and you probably know this just as well like having those opportunities to open for these amazing people and these amazing bands it's such a it's such a cool thing it's a huge like one of those like bucket list things so like that for me is really what i've gotten out of those things and then after it's over you have to fucking work like that's when you have to work you know Cause, cause yeah, you've been on a tour playing state or not stadiums, but like, let's say arenas or, uh, theaters, whatever it is. And then you come home and you're like, all right, now let's, let's go on a headline tour. And it's like, oh, okay. Now there's 10 people here again. <laughs> so It's amazing. You say that dude, because I was just talking to somebody about this. Cause they're always like, Hey man, how come you're not here or there? You know? And as I did this arena tour with bill all last year, yeah. Um, Amazing. You know, we got we had twelve to fifteen thousand people in the room. We're still fighting against ADD. 
Yep. Because people will go, I love this guy or this band. And the next day they don't even remember. So it almost takes a next level type of fan that goes, hold on, let me follow these guys on Instagram and let me go to their website and see where they're playing next. And let me buy a shirt. It totally takes, because the, you know, Mike Patton and Chino and these guys can open the door for you and you can kill it. But it's still a responsibility of the non-ADD fan to go, let me write this down real quick before I forget. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's basically they open the door to a hallway and you have to keep walking through that thing until, you know, I don't think there really is an end. But like that's what a lot of people don't don't seem to get. Like we, you know, we're we're a really small, small band. Yeah. And I'm a real small comedian in the in the in the spectrum of it. It, it, it's that old saying of watch out what you get famous for also because some people will jump on to some kind of coattails type of sound and it's really not even what they're into or they don't even know what they're into and then at the end of the day they get famous or big or something but then they crash and it was all on something they're not even into Yep. And then they try something later on and people are like, ah, man, you suck now. You're <laughs> whatever. So yeah, yeah, it is a, uh, it is a grind and I've never seen more of a grind than, um, a, a, a small band or a comedian starting out and trying to keep it going. And, and I think to most people, they think it's all about monetary rewards. But like you said, when I show up at a club and there's 50 people there to see me, I'm fucking excited, man. Cause Hell those yeah. people I don't know. And I flew somewhere and was like, wow, these guys paid to come see me. This is cool. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I mean, you know, we know how hard it is to get out of the house and like, like you said, like keep, keep tabs on things and be interested in something enough to like, be a fan to be a real fan so each one means so much man i can't even imagine in comedy like you guys i don't know but it's it has to be harder than being a musician well it's easier because you don't deal with band members that well that's true that's and you don't have sound checks so it's definitely easier that way but it's way harder as a performer because you don't have any next year right you know, hey, play a solo. I'm like, you know, whatever. yeah, or even like an instrument to like, you know, hide behind or whatever. Like some people do, I guess, but like, yeah, it's I admire it so much, man. It's it's insane. I also had no idea. I I did. I looked you up just before this, actually, just to check it out. I need interviews or whatever, and uh, you you have some fucking pipes, man. I heard you singing on stage, and Bill Burr playing drums, which I had no idea was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played music 25 years and it was my life, you know? Yeah. That's um, awesome. And now I do comedy and it, it's, I always say I took the long way around to get to comedy because comedy is what I should have been doing my whole life. Right. And uh, I love music and I love everything about it. But now that I'm out of music, I like it even more, you know? That's awesome. I, uh, I can sit back and, and not, think about something like well who signed them or what producer did that record or listen to these tones or this song 
to me, it's yeah. just songs, you know? Yeah. You have like an outside, a more like objective view on everything. I think that's what makes it, that makes it tough for me to like get into new bands too. Like I was saying earlier, I think I'm just kind of also being an engineer and, and, and a mixer. Every time I hear a band, the first thing I, I, I don't do it on purpose, but my ear just picks, starts picking things apart. Not necessarily in a judgmental way, but that's just, that's what I start to pay attention to, you know? So if right. it's got like a weird snare drum, I have a hard time liking the record. <laughs> you know, oh, whatever. Things like that. It's not just, like one of those Saint Anger Metallica. Yeah. Oh, well, Jesus Christ. Man, that Lars snare. I'm like, yeah, with me, I'm like, I don't, I'm not even listening to the snare. And I played I music all my life. What are you yeah. I'm listening to the song, man. It's so crazy. I Dude, know. I can't believe his guitar tone. I'm like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah, and, and and you're right. Who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. listen to some of that Fugazi stuff, man. It's just oh, like, yeah. you know, just all distorted and ran into raw. Yeah, super raw. <laughs> and, and you know, now now it's funny because you get people who are like, we want it to sound like that, and it's like, well, all right, <laughs> just don't don't try too hard, and you'll. I mean, be a be a great band and don't have money. Yeah. Let me ask you: Are you a comedy fan? Yeah, huge comedy fan. That's cool, man. That's cool. Do you do you go see uh, stand up at all? Not as much as I'd like to. We recently there's a. Do you know that it's it's like a? I found it on Instagram, but it's Don't Tell Comedy. Yeah, we went to one of their shows here in Pittsburgh recently, and it was awesome. Like I'm a terrible comedy fan, really, because we haven't we haven't made it to as many shows as we'd like to, but. We both Sarah and I love it, and we, you know, constantly looking for like specials on Netflix or wherever they are, or even on Instagram. Most of my Instagram is just like either like recording stuff or comedy stuff, <laughs> and, which is something that I think is really cool. I don't know if it's good for you guys or not, but it's the exposure to it's like Spotify, same thing. Like, I've never seen so many comics in my life until like the last couple of years. It seems like there's just like or maybe I just caught on to it recently, but there's so many, so many people who are hilarious on Instagram. You know, I keep finding every day. It's like somebody new that I like. So maybe it's not music for me, but it's comedy. So it's like the opposite, you know? Yeah. I think that, uh, like I said, social media, uh, being a double-edged sword, uh, a yep. total demon and also a necessary and good tool. You know, sure. it just, yeah. um, I also think about the slippery slope of where I saw the music business go, where, you know, you're giving away your stuff and hoping that people come to the live shows. Yeah. And you, you got to really watch out for that. You know, like, here's my special for free. And, you know, yeah. you have 2,000 views on something that you uh, worked your ass off. And it's not necessarily it's it's not uh, a bad special, but it didn't hit the algorithm. You know what I mean? So then you're like, it, 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 there's no bigger demon than that, and that can really set someone down, especially when the industry is looking at numbers and they're like, well, his special only got two thousand views, and it's like, yeah, but is it good? Do yeah. you like it? Is it funny? then figure out how to get them to the another level, you know, and same thing with music out there. You know, the algorithm is just fucking crazy. It is, man. It's the worst. It's the worst part of it, you know, and I, not even the algorithm itself, but how it fucks people up. Like you said, like, you know, we're so concerned about the numbers and the perception and the image of, of like, you're not even, people don't even worry about the product anymore. They're like, well, is it numbers or, you know, like, 
Yeah. But I, I do think there's a level at, there's kind of a fine line to ride there. And again, we've kind of tried, I, I really just don't give a shit about that. So like we've, we've kind of made sure that like everybody who likes that page is somebody who actually liked that page and really is like into the music. And, and it's crazy. Like we, it's been so organic, I think because of that. And we haven't like, you know, started a TikTok and done the shit that you're supposed to do. And the, you know, like if we had a social media manager, they would have us doing all kinds of other shit that we, we wouldn't want to do. Cause I'm not just shooting for numbers. Like I would rather have 500 followers on Instagram and have all those 500 people show up at shows than have, you know, which I've seen it happen. I mean, I've, we've, we've toured with bands where I've seen this happen where like they'll have a hundred plus thousand followers on Instagram and nobody's coming to the shows. You know. Yeah, well, perfect example. I've got 70,000 Instagram fans and I'll put a video up and I'll have about, you know, 2,000 likes. So the numbers don't mean shit. I tell people that all the time. No. Do you like the record? Do you like the comedy? And that's what means the most to me is like I'm doing this for me. And if somebody else digs it, then fucking cool. But I'm not going to stop because I didn't get a million views on YouTube. Yeah, you know what I'm know. saying? I've been doing this show for 11 years. Yeah. And, you know, almost uh, 700 episodes. And it's uh, it's a, a personal, like, fulfillment of pleasure to me of, like, talking to people like you or the biggest star ever that I loved growing up, say, being, you know, ACDC or uh, Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age or, right. or you know, fucking Gene Simmons, whatever it is. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Is, I, I started this in a, in a studio apartment and it's been going 11 years and, you know, people from around the world hit me up daily. Love this show. And it's fucking wild. Like, that's what's I feel like that's what's more important when you get those messages from people, you know, like real fans where they're like, man, like, I love your I love what you do. And it's real and genuine. It doesn't matter how many. It's like the fact that that person took time to do that is is huge, especially you could be having a bad day. And the, the fan does not even understand how much that fueled your fucking tank that day you get up you're like god man and then you get an email dude i had a hard time during covid but your music got me through it i just wanted to let you know i wanted to take the time to let you know and you're like whoa i got enough gas to go through this day now you know yeah man hell yeah it's amazing i love it it's like that's that's really what makes it worth it you know I have no like aspirations to be some fucking rich, famous rock star. All I, all we want as a band, even just to like, we just want to be able to break even and pay our bills and, and, you know, not, not struggle a little bit less. Yeah. I love doing this. Like we will do it whether we're getting paid or not, but it's, it's, if we're putting this much effort into it, you kind of unfortunately have to make a little money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I love that. <laughs> you, you fucking guys sold out, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I sold out. I was able to get some gas and uh, right. in and out burger today. <laughs> oh, seriously, dude. I know. How, did, how does uh, Chino find you? Does he hear you or does he see you live somewhere? How did that happen? So that was insane, man. That was uh, 
I mean, we were barely a band. That was our, we had just put out our first single um, on a tiny little label. Like basically we were splitting everything with the label uh, and, and we put out our first single. It was, it streamed on Brooklyn Vegan. It just seemed like people were into it. It was doing pretty good. And our friend Aaron Harris, again, who ended up producing our second record, Seismic, he, uh, he was Abe's drum tech. So Abe from the drummer from Deftones, his drum tech. Um, Aaron has done a lot for us, man. Just he's, he's a super good friend and he's always kind of trying to spread the word. Uh, but this was, again, we barely existed as a band. He wrote me when, when he heard the song and was like, dude, this is awesome. Didn't say anything else was just like stoked on it. And I sent him the rest of the record so he could hear it. And the next day we got an email from, uh, an agent like we didn't even know i almost almost deleted it because it looked like spam it was like you know so and so whatever agency and then it said hey i represent a large rock band um they want to know if you're available to tour next summer wow and i was like this is like a, a large rock band really delete you know yeah yeah <laughs> like how much do you need how much do you want me to pay you for whatever like but we looked into it. we were like he was with caa and then i was like wait i feel like i've heard of that and we look it up and look him up and he represents like all these big bands that we're fans of and sure enough so i write back and like he writes back he's like all right uh well it's opening for deftones and refused here are the dates uh and we're just like you know it's one of those moments where you're like what <laughs> like that's huh and so i hit aaron up right away i'm like dude what did you have anything to do with this and he's like why what happened and uh I'm like, we just got offered a tour with Deftones. And he's he's like, oh, I didn't... He's like, I showed it to Chino, but I didn't say anything. Or I didn't, like, ask him to do anything. Um, so he passed that song on to Chino. And then, and then he was like... He found out that they offered us the tour. I mean, this happened, like, within, like, three days. It was crazy. Um, so we sent Chino the rest of the record, and he was into it. And, yeah, we ended up doing the tour. And again, I mean, at that point like talking about numbers and Instagram bullshit we had I I think we had like 550 followers on Instagram wow when that happened wow <laughs> you know it's funny is man I've been Chino for years I ran into him like a year ago just walking through I was going to look at an apartment for rent and nice. he was just walking through uh the same neighborhood I was out and I hadn't seen this guy in 30 years. And he goes, Dean Del Rey. And I was like, Whoa, man. <laughs> so weird. But That's the amazing. great thing about Deftones and Tool, of course, is just giant. But these type of bands that were really just a hardcore following and can work the rest of their lives and they constantly put out good music and are constantly able to just survive on on their art which is amazing yeah. oh it's awesome man it's it's an inspiration for sure and it's really cool when when you get an offer like that you never know what it's going to be like like when you show up and if like we don't we didn't feel like we belonged there yet we didn't we were like what the fuck are we doing here but first day they all were just like buddies they were just like what's up you know friends right away and didn't treat us like anything different they were just we felt 100% comfortable right away. And so that first show, all those nerves kind of like melted away and I it just felt like we were we were supposed to be here, you know. It took a while to obviously really learn how to like <laughs> I mean, it was this was literally our first tour as as Spotlights. We had done a little bit of touring before in other bands, but nothing like this, you know. 
Yeah. Um, so it was like kind of like, oh, here you go. And just getting thrown into our first show was in front of like 4,000 people. Yeah. Uh, in your 40s, too. That's what I love. You're like yeah. in your 40s and you're like me, like late in life. And you're like, well, and which makes it great because you're like, oh, I'm ready for this now. You know? Hell yeah. I would have fucked that up if I was 22 and that happened. I would have I would have done something stupid or like gotten too drunk the first night and gotten kicked off the tour. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know? Well, I'm fired up. I'm getting ready to see you guys May 11th at the Palladium with uh, Bungle and Melvins. Nice. Uh, I've, I've, I've been uh, friends with Scott Ian and Dave Lombardo for years and years. Uh, I've awesome, been man. a giant fan of Mike Patton. It was funny, Mike Patton, uh, I, I saw him uh, backstage at a show. I knew he was going to say no, but I had to ask him anyway because I've been a fan of his all my life. So I was like, hey, man, I know you're going to say no, but... Uh, I'd love to have you on the podcast sometime. And he's like, <laughs> I knew yeah. it. And that's one of the reasons I love Mike Patton because of his mystique, which right. is unbelievable. But there is a, a thing there where you have to ask, because if you could actually tap that brain of, of Mike Patton and, and just really hear uh, what's ticking in there, it'd be great. But yeah, seriously, I'm fired up. And also, I love the Melvins. I've had Buzz and everybody on from the Melvins on the show, I had all three. And uh, that's going to be a fantastic tour. Uh, yeah, I'm looking man. forward to that. And are you guys looking forward to that or what? Oh, yeah, dude, we're stoked. I mean, we're we're not only just excited to get back out on the road because it's been like two years. We've done a couple tours since COVID, but just little like week long things. Uh, we're doing two months this time. And a solid, I think it's 10 or 11 shows are with Bungle and Melvin. So, I mean, that's, it's everything. Like I said, it's like, it's not even about the like fame will do for us. It's like the experience, you know, getting to, we've toured with the Melvins before and we, and we played one of the Bungle shows when they, when they played in New York, when they did a few one-offs. Yeah. Um. So like we've met them and we know, you know, but it's still just, it's a little mind blowing and it's, it's just as exciting. Melvin's are a huge influence for us, not only musically, but like going back to to doing things the right way. Those guys have been doing this for 30 plus years at this point. And they could be they could have two buses if they wanted to on tour, you know, and they could be shooting for like bigger rooms and whatever. But they've kept it like Buzz is so smart the way he sets things up. He's like, they're still in a van in a sprinter. Sometimes he even still drives because he just likes to do it super minimal crew no bullshit no like you know he trimmed all the fat and just do the work just fucking work and they make us really great living off of being able to do what they've been doing for the last 30 something years you know yeah man people like buzz could you know they could write books on business that you would read you know like really lay it down of like here's the pitfalls Here's where you're going to lose money. Here's where you're going to make money. Yep. Uh, here's some of the, uh, you know, the the ins and outs of merch and 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 equipment and and techs and sound. What you need, what you don't need. It would be yeah. a, a, a bible of somebody like Buzz. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, man. You know, the the amount of money that gets thrown around on these tours, that and then people complain about not making money, which drives me crazy. You know, you're like, well did you really need a lighting person like to, to just fucking put up a couple, like, you know, especially if you're just a rock band, I get it. If you're a D if you're a DJ or something and that's your show, but like riders, people, you know, 
you'll be a headline band putting a bunch of shit on your rider and then you're like well wait what yeah you're paying for that rider that's your, that's your money man like that's one thing buzz always says like i don't need somebody to shop for me like i can go get my own food i'm a fucking grown-up you know give me the cash give me some water i can go do the rest you know yep. i i always say just have <laughs> some fresh fruit and some topo chicos back there and i'm ready to fucking go Boom. Exactly. That's all I'll go mean. eat after something clean. <laughs> it's crazy sometimes the amount of, and not only like that, but the waste, like just picnic tables of fucking food that get thrown right oh, yeah. in the trash afterwards. Yeah, you know? Fucking crazy. That's nice. Well, look, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you. I'll see you Same, uh, backstage and uh, let's shoot the shit and hang out. The Palladium's a prestigious, beautiful room. Yeah, uh, I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to knock you out and. That Bungle Melvin's lineup is right up there with Mastodon Gojira for me, you know. Just great lineups this summer coming, coming up. up. Huh? I know. I'm hoping to catch that. And uh, look, like I said, looking forward to meeting you. The record comes out April 28th. The band is Spotlights. Yep. record is called Alchemy for the Dead, and it's fantastic. And I, I just immediately fell in love with the sound and the vibe of the band. I can't wait to see you guys. And thanks for doing the show, man. Thanks for having me on, man. This was a pleasure. Really appreciate it. No Instagram? You got an Instagram? Uh, yeah, we have an Instagram. It's Spotlights Music. And uh, my recording Instagram is AudioMQ. Right on. And yep. uh, are you all Pro Tools? you use all Pro Tools? Uh, mostly, yeah. I use Ableton for the live stuff, but for all the recording stuff and mixing usually on Pro Tools. It's incredible how good Pro Tools sounds now. I just heard the new Metallica record, you know? Yeah. And it is just like, remember the old days? It was just flat and per and compressed. Yeah. Like shit. The guitars were all bunk. I mean, <laughs> this shit sounds unreal now. It's crazy. I mean, I think most of it really, what it came down to was people learning to use it. You know what I mean? Because it's just a different medium. Like learning, really, the digital, the actual software hasn't changed much. Like some of the fidelity has, but even when it was at the lowest fidelity, it was still higher fidelity than tape was. It's more just tape, tape did a certain thing. It was like having your own, having a compressor on each track already. But now all of a sudden you don't. So things have to like, they fall in different places. And it took, it took a long time to, for people to learn how to use digital. I think I, I was lucky when, when I started recording, when I was like 18, 19, I came from four tracks and I had done a little bit of tape recording like in studios and small studios, but, uh, it, it was just, it was right when pro tools was starting to happen. So I caught the very beginning of it and the tail end of, of analog, you know, so I wasn't really stuck in either place. It was a little bit easier for me to start learning, but I mean, nowadays it's, you have no excuse really, <laughs> which is, you just gotta be, you know, you gotta put in the work at this point. But also, you can just go to YouTube and learn from these nerds. But I'm like, oh, okay, you go here and you find a bat, 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 and you go, okay, right? oh, I got this. I would have killed for that. That's, oh, God, can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, I remember recording on ADATs, you know, yep. and oh, just yeah. going like, well, I mean, it sounds like shit, but it's free. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's nuts, man. It's nuts. It's crazy. But um, uh, can people contact you about mixing their records? Yeah, if you go to audiomq.com is my website. I got all my info there. And and I think I have a couple of links to spotlights too, so it all kind of goes through there. Great. 
Great. Yeah. Great talking to you, man. And Thanks so much, uh, Dean. See you. Yeah, man. You as well. Thank you so much for doing the show. And I will see you soon, my man. Sounds good. Take All care, right, buddy. buddy. All right. Later. Later.